Hello and welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. Ooh, that was very assertive. I liked it. You did? I did. <laughs> I'm Mary. I'm Shelly. All right. What are we talking about? Well, we've had a lot of people ask to hear my story of why I left. Oh, right. Why you left the church. Why you and your husband at the time and family left the church. Yes. What were the ramifications? How did that whole process go? Right. How did your kids take it? All of it. All yeah. that jazz. Yeah. Uh, did you want to jump into that now or did you want to... No, uh, let's wait. Okay. Because I received an awesome message today. Well, not today. Over the last week from someone who I used to teach Sunday school to. So it's... it's um, I'm going to pull it up. So here's your stark contrast. We have Sabrina. I mean, I'll say her name because she posted as herself. Well, she posted in a very public way. So right. And her so name is out your there. Your name's public now. Yeah. So Sabrina, I taught her in Sunday school and she has clung to the Mormon faith and she was not the nicest to me about the podcast. So sort of kind of, I mean, whatever. Guys, go read the thread. It's the thread where we are giving each other toasts for our 10,000th download. Mm -hmm. And so on the opposite side is this message that Mary's going to read from a Was she listener. in the same class? I don't I don't remember. Okay. It's been a while. Um, I don't even remember what age I taught this person. But on the opposite side, this person is struggling with the faith. She's still in the church. She's still in the church, but her message to me was very kind and thoughtful and appreciative. And so I don't know, it just seems like I don't get any ex-Mormons that are being rude or mean or condescending well, to they, me. They believe the same way you do. They do, and yeah. they understand me. Whereas typically the Mormons who want to rip on me and make fun of me and and whatever it is, they haven't even listened to the podcast. They don't even know my story, but they well, just want to right. defend and attack. Put yourself in their position for a second. Sure. They are fully invested. Oh, I would have done the same thing in their religion. Like, for sure. Yeah. I would have, I, you're, I'm you, not surprised at it. And we're it. kind of poking holes in it, sure, shall we sure. say. Sure, You're right. You're absolutely right. But so, I just yeah. wish that people would listen first because I think like we said last time, if, if your biggest complaint is that I use the name Latter Day mm -hmm. in the title, like that's clearly you haven't listened because what your biggest complaint should be, if you listen to the podcast, your complaint should be about how I was treated and how a lot of ex-Mormons are treated and how a lot of women are treated in the church instead of just kind of being caught up in, oh, you use the name of the church. I don't think she probably, she and people like her that believe similarly mm -hmm. probably don't want to think about all that because then they have to admit to themselves that they are in this patriarchy that doesn't value them. Yeah. And, and that would be really tough, I think, Yeah, to be able to even like examine that. Sure. So no, I can I, see why. I agree, so, but I, but I absolutely agree. At the same time, if you don't if you don't know what you're talking about, don't complain to me. Mm. Don't complain to me about my podcast when you don't even listen to it, because you a you kind of look foolish to people who have listened. And they're like, why is this person flipping out over the title? She right. should be flipping out over the abuse that you've suffered. Well, so she, I'm just saying, she clearly doesn't look at it as abuse. What but she doesn't – well, she hasn't listened to the podcast. She doesn't know anything about it. She knows nothing. And her story might be that she never felt any of the abuses that I did, mm -hmm. and that's that's fine. Yeah. But listen to my story before you get all up in arms about yeah. the name I, of the podcast. And again, that's – whatever. That's her choice. She can do what she wants. But just a heads up, you, you kind of look um, judgmental and foolish and shallow and uncaring when mm -hmm. that's your approach. Yeah, I hear Still you. that out there. I hear you. 
So anyway, on the opposite side of that coin is this person who will remain anonymous because she's still kind of straddling Mm -hmm. the church line, not believing in it, but afraid to jump out completely because of family pressures. Yeah. Uh, So Mary, would you please read that? I will read this. And so this person was also in your Sunday school class. Yes, I don't remember how old she was at the time. I don't remember which class it was. Um, But yeah, go ahead. Well, it's a really sweet message. Mm -hmm. Hi, Shelly. I just wanted to reach out. pause. Seriously? <laughs> I just want to point out that she called me Shelly and not Sister DeWitt. So right there <laughs> is her being respectful that I've left. Yeah. Um, opposed to Sabrina, who insisted on calling me Sister DeWitt when she was, you know, flaming my post. Right. Which is very disrespectful when she knows that I have left the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll try not to interrupt, but there's just so much. Okay. Is it okay? If, can, I, can I interject <laughs> while you read? Yeah, but I think there's going to be natural pauses. That just wasn't one of them. <laughs> well, I didn't. It just came to me. I hadn't planned it. I have no notes about this, so. Okay, okay. We're just going to go for it. Just, just go. Just do it. Hi, Shelly. You want to say anything? I already did. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to reach out and let you know that I've really loved listening to your podcasts. I have felt so connected to a lot of what you've been talking about. I remember when you left the church, it was almost a shock to my system. I remember you teaching me and having to almost second-guess everything. So she was second-guessing. Because I taught her, and I think I have a way with words and a way with how I speak that people people listen (laughs) and they believe me. Okay. So I think that was very, very powerful when I taught Sunday school. And so I'm teaching these things, and then when this girl heard that I left the church, it's like, whoa, Wait, wait, wait. So now, because her testimony was kind of based on my testimony in quotations, now she's then like, oh my gosh, so she doesn't even believe what she taught me. What am I believing? I see. Am I believing things because they're true or am I just believing it because Shelly said it was true, but now Shelly's saying it's not true. Now I have to analyze all of my beliefs. Well, now you're using your gift of gab for good and not evil. Yes. And I did say that. You, you, You did. Okay. How would someone teaching all of that just leave? But I understand now, not only because I've been listening to your story, but because I've started to feel it myself. You know, you kind of mentioned this last week when I think it's that moment when you can kind of suspect that other people are questioning having a faith crisis. Yes. So is this person having a faith crisis? Does this qualify? Yes, absolutely. Is there a shelf involved? I'm sure her shelf has crashed at this (laughs) point. Okay. And yeah, I don't know, maybe she will send more messages about specific things that piled up on her shelf and are now crashed. That would be interesting to hear someone else's story. Okay. I was placed in a position teaching teenagers in Sunday school. When I was asked to teach, I felt like I wasn't given a choice. It was happening. I knew I wasn't up for it. I went along with it, mostly for my family, for the image. I even went to the bishop a few months later and asked if I could be removed as a teacher because I felt so unsure of my own beliefs and it wasn't fair to them or myself. I was denied. Mm. Can I interject? Yes, you can. You are allowed to turn down a calling. Those of you who are not Mormon, a calling is the the bishop in your ward, in your congregation, will extend a calling to you, which is basically giving you a job to do. Nobody gets paid, which, by the way, is freaking ridiculous because the Mormon church has more money than God. Right. But they don't pay anyone to do anything, which is shitty. And... When a calling is extended to you, they say, this is God calling you to do this. So mm. you're not, you're typically not going to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who was extended a calling from a certain bishop that we will talk about, maybe today, maybe next week. And this friend said, well, I don't really want this 
calling, you know, I can turn it down, right? And the bishop's response was, well, you you can turn it down, but that's the wrong choice. <laughs> so it's like, you have a choice. <laughs> it's just the wrong one. But, there, but there's a right one uh-huh. and a wrong one. But you go ahead and choose. Uh-huh. You have your agency. It's such bullshit. Agency? They like, Agency. Oh, oh from, from the Never Mormon sitting across from me. Agency is a word that is thrown around all the time in Mormonism. Uh, it used to be called free agency, which means you are freely given this opportunity to choose what you want to do in this life. Uh, and then they, they got rid of the free part and just called it agency because it's not actually free because Jesus paid the price okay. for your choices. Did uh, the angel Moroni appear to Joseph Smith with a glossary of terms? Um, <laughs> maybe. That would have been were, helpful. They were on gold plates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank God. Anyway, the church likes to say that you have agency. You get to choose. Agency. Um, but again, I think I've brought this up before. It's not really a choice when the person above you that supposedly is super close to God says, well, here's choice A and here's choice B. And choice one of them A is, wrong. is right. Choice B is wrong. Yeah. Go ahead and choose. Right. So yeah, of course, this person writing in doesn't feel like she has a choice. Right. Because God calls you to do things. Um, so when Brent, my ex-husband and I were living in our ward in Provo, Utah, we were called to be, I think, the eight-year-old or the 10-year-old scout leaders, which was a miserable calling. Miserable. I hated it. It just it sucked for 10,000 reasons. God. Anyway, we did it for a while, um, and I think I was very pregnant and just tired and couldn't commit. And so we said, like, we would like to be released from this calling. Can you please call someone else? And a member of the bishopric, which mm-hmm. is there's like the bishop and a first counselor and a second counselor. Okay. And they call it the bishopric. Bishopric, yes. So this member of the bishopric came over to our house after we said, can we please be released? Mm-hmm. Sat down with us and said, you know, I hear you want to be released. And we're like, yeah, it's just too much and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, when you all moved into the ward, we thought you would be one of those upstanding ward families that set an example, be one of like the shining stars in the ward. And I guess we were wrong. Said that. Manipulation. Actually said that. Brent, if you're listening, do you remember that? It was, um, what's his name? Buzz was his first name. I can't remember his last name. Manipulative. I know. Wow. And so you feel like you've now let down God and that now God will not trust you with higher callings. Yeah, it's it's shitty. It's so bad. It is bad. So anyway, I can see why this person yeah ha- is having a hard time telling the bishop, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not doing it. Right. Which is almost what you have to say. I am not doing this. This is not up for discussion. Yeah. Then you feel like an ass. Well, and they're going to just manipulate you into doing sure. it. Sure. Okay, let's get back to the letter. Okay, is it okay? Sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, she asked if she could be removed from teaching Sunday school because... Yeah, she didn't feel qualified to do it. So she was denied that request. Mm -hmm. I was told to just keep trying. Quote, they had picked me for a reason. Right. God picks you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She was chosen. Oh, God, so manipulative. I hate it. Until just recently, when they reached out to me at the beginning of the year, I told them I wanted to be removed. While it's not official yet, I'm starting to feel the noose loosen just a bit. So that's good. Good. Mm-hmm. Even when Matt and I got married, I remember having panic attacks about who would accept me if I married someone who isn't Mormon. Granted, I wasn't exactly Molly Mormon at the time. Nevertheless, it was extremely difficult. I remember talking to my Utah family over the summer, and they told me I shouldn't get serious with him. This is just a guy I would date and get over. He can't take me to the temple. Uh, trigger. <laughs> Did you want to interject? 
Well, finish that section. Okay. I was absolutely crushed. It wasn't about that for me. I loved him and he loved me. End of story. He accepts me for who I am, unsure of religion and all. This saying, find a man who can take you to the temple. Mm -hmm. T-shirt. (laughs) T-shirt. I hate it. It was told to me since the time I can remember as a girl Mm -hmm. in the church that your job as a girl is to remain pure and clean, that you are worthy Mm -hmm. to have a young man take you to the temple. So... He so take he's me to taking. The temple. <laughs> Sorry, we need to take, take me to the, the temple. temple song. <laughs> so right there, it puts this man in power over you. Like he uh-huh. will take you to the temple. Right, right, right. It's not that you're going to take him to the temple. He is going to yeah. reach down and pull you out of your filth and whatever, <laughs> and take you to the temple. You're relying on this man to take you. Uh-huh to the temple, which just puts you under him. That's what he's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mary, so the first time you go through the temple and you get up to the veil, there's we need to do a temple episode, clearly. Yeah. But the person who admits you into heaven, into the celestial kingdom, is your soon-to-be husband. So you go to the temple before you get married there or on the same day, and as you're standing at the veil, and this is probably sounding so wacky to people who have never been Mormon, it is wacky. It is wacky. You have to give your husband these certain signs and tokens. You tell him your new name. We talked about new names last time. And he's the one who puts his hand through the veil and pulls you into heaven. What a stupid ritual. It's so stupid because, again, it puts the man above you. You can't get into heaven unless your husband brings you in. That's horrible. It's demeaning. It is. It's demoralizing. It makes you feel less than. Yeah, women can't get into heaven on their own. No, of course not. Of course not. But Mormons would argue, well, men can't get into heaven without the wife. Oh, yeah? Or ten wives. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. You can say neither the man without the woman, the woman without the man, that the man needs the woman to get into heaven. You know what this whole... It's not the same thing. You know what this gobbledygook is all about? What? Making more Mormons. If we do this thing about men needing women and women needing men to get into heaven, then they're going to make more Mormon babies. Mm -hmm. That's all this is. And you know what you have when you have more Mormon babies? What? You get more Mormon adults tithing. Yes. Money. It's all about money. money. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It it is. And so... For this person who wrote in, I understand how hurtful that is when someone says, well, he can't take you to the temple. Especially right. you you love this man. You're married to him now. Right. And you loved him then. And to have Mormon family look at him and dismiss all of his good qualities and dismiss your love for him and right. his love for you solely on the fact that he's not Mormon mm-hmm. is so hurtful. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Mormons, if you're listening, don't do that. When your family members fall in love with someone who's not Mormon, be happy for them. Don't tell them, well, you need to get them baptized. Just just stop. Just yeah. be happy for people who are in love. Oh, if it could only be that simple, Shelley. I know. But I, I, know. I, I appreciate that sentiment. He's not a lesser person because no. he can't take you to the temple. It's I ridiculous. Know. Okay. Let me just conclude this letter. Wait, let me finish. Okay. Sorry. So the, the point behind him taking you to the temple... Mormons will tell you, well, if you don't get married in the temple, you were only sealed slash married for time. So, so when you die, you are no longer a married couple. Like, it's done. If you and maybe are, it's run its course anyway. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, but the thing is... They so, like to preach this fear of separation. Oh, it's all fear. So that they can keep people in their mired absolutely, in their wacky religion. Absolutely. So many people stay in this Mormonism. This is why is it a, it's a cult. This is exactly yeah, why it's a it's cult. It's fear-based. Yeah. And so if you die and you are sealed in the temple, you get to be together for eternity, forever and ever. But if you weren't sealed, God will separate you. 
And again, I might have said this before, like what kind of asshole God would separate families? Yeah. This this person who wrote in and her husband are in love. You're telling me that if one of them, this is morbid, if one of them gets hit by a truck tomorrow, mm-hmm. that God's like, wow, sucks for you that you didn't do the secret handshakes in the temple because now you're just, you're done. You don't get to see each right. other anymore. Right. I don't believe in a God who's an asshole and who would separate families. And the fact that Mormons believe that, like, why would you want to believe in a God that would do that? Well, you know, all these rituals and stuff, the things you're talking about, they're just so wacky. And Mm -hmm. I'm starting to think that maybe Mormonism is completely fake. (laughs) You getting there? Uh All right, now you may continue reading. Okay, this is just the wrap up here. Okay. I just want to thank you for telling your story. I may not be a Latter-day lesbian. Nice use of the name. But hearing your story has helped me understand myself better. As of right now, I would not consider myself Mormon. Mm. That's a big declaration for someone who's still going to the church, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I still feel stuck. Mm -hmm. I'm still scared to remove my name because of my family, but we'll see where things go one day at a time. Sending you all the good vibes. P.S. You and Mary are adorable together. Oh, we are. Mm. Mm. Maybe. Thank you, listener. Guilty. I know. <laughs> so let's that talk about um, her being afraid to actually officially leave the church because yeah. of family, family pressure. Pressures. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Everyone, I would say in the 99% and above who are listening right now who are ex-Mormons probably stayed in the church longer than they wanted to because of family pressure, mm. because of fears of disappointing their families. Um, fear of backlash from right, families, right. fear of being ostracized from their families. It's mm-hmm. it's a real thing. For me, my family hasn't necessarily ostracized me. We still talk, but the conversations are very shallow. And, and the disapproval is pretty The disapproval, you can, you can feel that. Yeah. It's tangible. Um, also, it's sad for me because I know that, that my mom and dad truly in their hearts believe that we are now separated eternally because I'm no longer um, yeah. a temple-going Mormon. And they are sad. They're heartbroken for that. Even though it's mm-hmm. it's not real, in their hearts, they truly think that I've now separated myself and my children from them for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so I think people knowing that that's how their family will feel, they're afraid to say, I've left. They mm-hmm. don't want to disappoint them. They don't want to make them sad. It's hard. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure there. For sure. For sure. So I understand why she's kind of hanging out. Yeah. That's got to be a really tough position to be in. Absolutely. I would tell her and anyone else who's stuck there not being authentic to who you are is harmful to yourself. Yeah. Living both sides of that line, it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. Lying about who you are and what you believe is hard. It, it brings you down. It tears you down. And that first jump off the cliff into not being Mormon anymore, it sucks. It's hard. You're going to get all the backlash from your family, but it is what's best for you, yeah, for your soul. For it sure. really is. And you will find after things kind of settle down, you'll care a little less about the haters. Not care. You're not going to love them less, but you're going to just kind of let it like, ah, they don't don't get it. And your happiness will finally be more important than you making all of your family happy. I mean, I had to go through that. I mean. Yeah, you did. I was a teenager. I don't know. How did you manage at 17 to be able to take that? It was a long journey. It was like a two-year journey. I started coming out at 17. I came out sort of by accident to my mother because she found... It's such a long story. But anyway, I didn't mean to come out to her at that time when I was 19 years old, but mm-hmm. that's just kind of how it happened. Yeah. 
And it was a slow road to confidence and feeling Mm -hmm. like I'm going to live my life according to my rules. Mm -hmm. And certainly my mother was the one thing that was sort of the holdout for me, feeling completely comfortable. It took another 10 years. I was 29. I had to come out again to my mother. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, the rest of the world knew. Yeah. Except mostly. But I had Your to. Even, second coming out. My second coming out. That's hilarious. Oh, t shirt. Oh, the second coming yeah. out. <laughs> I don't know. That's very personal to me, though. I don't think that a lot of people have a second coming out story. I'm not sure. I've actually heard somebody else have had that same story. They'd come out to their parents twice because it was so horrific the first time. They spent years just closeted to their parents. Like in my mm-hmm. case, I didn't bring up my personal life. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't talk about it. And she believed what she wanted to believe. Right. She didn't ask me any questions about who I was dating. Just didn't oh, talk about it. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I finally came out for real to her at 29. Mm-hmm. But she knew. Let's face it. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> there, you, there you have it. <laughs> Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, being authentic. Yeah. I mean, it will be worth it. Yes. It feels super painful right now and super stressful. She's in the middle of it. Yep. But coming out on the other side, a whole person right. and standing up for yourself and putting your needs first is ultimately the better way to go. And you've gone through it, Shelly. Sure, absolutely. Just in the last you know, couple of years. There, there's also your fear of losing your Mormon circle of friends, which, yes, you will lose a lot of Mormon friends. Um, but there are so many good, wonderful, amazing people out there sure. who are not Mormon who or who are ex-Mormon who will not judge you. Right. There's actually an ex-Mormon meetup group um, that I've recently joined just to meet some ex-Mormons in the area and do yeah. fun things with. So you're not stuck. People feel stuck because it's such a closed-minded religion. It's so exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get out, you realize there's a whole big, awesome world out there. Yeah. But that first step is difficult because you have to take on disappointing your family. Yeah. And that is really hard. Oh, yeah. Speaking of family, mm-hmm. we want to talk about you and your family, your ex at the time, and what the situation was like for you guys leaving the church. Right. What was that like? So our first step of leaving the church, I think Brent had been studying alternative Mormon writings. Why was he doing that? From what I understand, he was kind of struggling with the fact that he had been doing everything by the book, and he still hadn't achieved these higher callings that typically you get in the church as you are like this amazing priesthood holder. Mm -hmm. And it kind of bugged him. And so he really recommitted to reading his scriptures and praying. And as he dove into the scriptures more, he started recognizing that Mormon teachings and scriptural teachings were not lining up. They weren't lining up. So he's talking about like reading the Bible versus the Book of Mormon. No, no, no. Both. Like reading the Bible and the Book of Mormon versus what the church is teaching. Those oh, really? Up. Yeah. So the, even the Book of Mormon wasn't lining up with what you guys were hearing at church? Yes. Oh, why did they deviate? Well, it's like it's open for interpretation, just like the Bible is open for interpretation. You can have two different people read the same scripture, and one person says it means this, and the other person says it means that. Hmm. Okay. And it seemed to be like the Mormon teachings of all scriptures tended to be more on the side of being judgmental, and we are right, you are wrong. Um, and there wasn't a lot of Jesus talk in the Mormon church. And actually, I've had a few people message me recently saying, yeah, I've just noticed 
when I go to church, they just don't talk about Jesus much. Hmm. And that's very true. Like, I noticed that when I started questioning things. I'm like, is anyone going to talk about Jesus, or are we just going to keep talking about the prophet and about pioneers okay. and about the word of wisdom and about tithing? Like, we lost Jesus completely, and that was bothersome to me. I just jumped mm-hmm. ahead quite a that's bit. That's okay, because we have to circle back to word of wisdom. I'm unclear on what the word of wisdom oh, is. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you know what? Let's save that. We're going to save that. Yeah, I'm making a note right We need now. some definitions defined. Ooh. I actually have to talk about it as I'm explaining my leaving the church story. All right. So Brent had been having discussions with people that were also kind of questioning the church. I think he had joined a few forums online and he one day came to me and was like, hey, do you think that God would ever tell you to not go to church? Hmm. I said, no, why would he Why would he do that? It's ridiculous. I kind of shut him down. I mean, did he feel at that time that he was hearing from God directly? And did you feel that way? Ah, that's so hard to, I don't know. That's hard for me to answer because in the moment you think this is God. And then after the fact, you're like, I mean, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I've definitely had experiences that I said was God. Like but I don't, I don't trust it because, you know, we, there's also people who say God tells them to kill women and children. Right. So I, I Well, my know. mother thinks God tells her who's going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, which, you should have put money on that I lady. wish you would tell me and <laughs> like, like a week before these games. And <laughs> I that Kind of like, uh, Back to the Future, <laughs> where he gets the, the magazine about the World Series. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Gosh, that, and that's hard for me, too, because in the moment I felt like I was having God imprint things on me. But now I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I might have just been wrapped up in things because I also felt like God was telling me the church was true. And now I know it's this bullshit. So, well, I think there are a lot of Christians of a certain type. Mm -hmm. My mother's one Mm -hmm. who feel it's very important to think you're hearing from God and you understand what God's will is for your life. Yeah. That is very important for some people. And I think it puts the responsibility on someone else. They don't have to take responsibility for making decisions. If God tells them to do it, they can just, oh, well, God told me. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out, God had a different plan. You know? No, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Like if you don't get the job, mm-hmm. right? You, you wasn't apply God's for a job. Well, it wasn't God's will and mm-hmm. you can blame it on that. No, I get it. I think it's a cop out. I just don't believe God is some puppet master with chess yeah. pieces moving them around on a board. Yep. Where you know, I just don't look at it that way. So anyway. Yeah, anyway, so God talking to me. I don't know. Yeah. I think that Brent is more of the belief that God does talk to him. And Still? that's yeah, and that's great. Whatever you choose to believe. And so when he had asked me that question, would God tell you to not go to church? Of course, I was like, no, of course not. And because I was still of the belief of Mormonism is the one true and you need to be there because I was raised that you don't miss church. You better be on your deathbed before you skip church, before you don't go. I mean, I would go sick. Even when I was a kid, getting my parents to let me stay home from church was impossible. Like, Hmm. you go to church. If you don't, you are being disobedient. You're making God sad. Really? God sad? Yes. Okay. Yes. So much guilt there. So I did not miss church. Right. And so I just kind of shelved that question that Brent had, and he didn't say anything more to me about it. Mm -hmm. And then I had my seventh baby. Yes, seven. Mm -hmm. And with the birth of the seventh baby also came my usual attacks of postpartum depression. This was something common for you? Uh, Yes, I didn't recognize it in the moment. Um, Depression isn't something that was talked about in my family. And I think a lot of my family members suffer from it, but it was never talked about. My dad was always of the opinion that you just get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, get up and do some work, get over it. 
uh, not very patient. What a great solution. I know. He's, he's gotten better about that now. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to my mother yes, always Yes, Catherine. Said. Yes. <laughs> um, so depression was just kind of a thing that you made up in your head. That was sort of how I was taught. Also, I was taught that when you're being obedient and you're following God's plan for you, that you're happy. It's called the plan mm-hmm. of happiness. And so the plan of happiness. Did you, have you, have I not mentioned that? To you? <laughs> no. The plan of happiness. Write that down. The what the heck is that? Of happiness. That is ridiculous. You no, know we should do. We should do like, here's the term and here's three definitions. And one is true and two are false. <laughs> See if you can pick it. <laughs> Anyway, the plan of happiness basically is that when you follow God's plan, you'll be happy. And so anytime in my life where... And God's plan is dictated by some man. Basically, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Just checking. Some man saying God said so. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I have struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life. Looking back, I can recognize it now. Yeah. But in those moments of depression growing up and as an adult before I left the church, that depression was not depression. It was me not being connected with God because I have sinned. There's something that I've done wrong. And so I was just constantly trying to figure out what it was that I was doing wrong and try to get forgiveness for it. Mm -hmm. Because you're taught things like you need to experience godly sorrow to be forgiven. What? What's godly sorrow? It's like the sorrow where you, I don't know, where your heart rips out. I don't know. It's, 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 <laughs> Literally? <laughs> no, it's like, and there's songs about it too. We, we have to Song, do some godly some sorrow episodes. songs? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, where. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing. They're stupider. <laughs> um, no, it's that you're not really repentant. You're not really sorry unless you experience like the sorrow that God would feel. And okay. so, it's, and it's like gets you in even a worse depression because you're kind of forcing yourself to feel so sorry for something you did, and you're going to cry about it, and you're going to uh, beg for forgiveness. Like, wow, not, not good for the self esteem. <laughs> no. Really not. Um, this me leaving the church episode is going to be like five episodes long. I think because I just keep thinking of things. So as I was an adult and dealing with my depression and thinking it was because I hadn't completely repented of things in my past, I remember going to my bishop. I don't know if I told this story on on an episode or not before, but whatever, I'm just going to tell it. Going to my bishop as like a 30-something-year-old adult, probably close to 40 because I was not in a good place emotionally and mentally, mm-hmm. looking back, yes, I was depressed. But in my mind, I hadn't been forgiven for some sins yet because I hadn't confessed them to the bishop. Okay. Which, by the way, you <laughs> have to confess to the bishop. You can't jump over that step to be forgiven. You oh, really? must know that's taught. You cannot just oh. ask God. You have to go to your bishop. That part is very much like Catholicism. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, it sucks. To think that you would have to go through a man to talk to God Mm -hmm. is not a good belief. Right. And so I went to my bishop as like a nearly 40-year-old grown-ass adult with seven kids, and he was my age, maybe even a year younger, um, and told him that I thought that there were some things in my past that I hadn't repented of yet, and that before Brent and I got married, so now I'm going back like almost 20 years, that I had messed around... And, you know, maybe had pushed the envelope a little too far with Brent and didn't repent of it. What do you mean? Sexually, you know. We didn't have sex, but there oh, was okay. 
petting or, you know, that horrible heavy, heavy oh, God, petting word. not again with that word. I know, it's horrible. And so you had to ask forgiveness like 20 years later or whatever? Yeah, because in my mind, I'm like, why am I not happy? There must, I'm, I haven't been forgiven all the way of things. Oh, and so, so that's what you weighing thought. weighing on my conscience, yeah. So did you go through other things that you thought you needed to be forgiven for? Um, that was the biggest one. Sexual sin was always on my mind when I was younger, huh. a teenager in early 20s, because I had had sex. Mm-hmm. And I had messed around with boys and it was embarrassing going and telling your bishop. And so I kind of was like, God, I don't want to do this. And so when I would go and talk to the bishop, it was hard for me to answer all of the questions because I felt so dirty and uncomfortable. So I would wow. kind of skim over things. Uh-huh. And of course, that comes back to haunt you because you think, oh my gosh, I wasn't totally honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell the bishop that I got really turned on. I didn't tell the bishop that I had an orgasm. I didn't tell the bishop that I touched. Yeah. Like they asked me this stuff. And so then you tell yourself, well, this is why I'm not happy. It's because I have not been forgiven of these sins because I wasn't honest with my bishop. It really messes with you. And so the embarrassment of me being almost 40 and having to go tell my bishop that I had messed around before I got married and was not sure if I had been completely honest with my previous bishops when I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. and have him have to tell me, well, yes, I think that, you know, that you can be forgiven for that. Mm. Like, how embarrassing to that go is, tell some dude who's your age. Yeah. The age doesn't even matter, actually. But, like, he's your, like, you know him outside of the church is like this this friend, you know, yeah. they've been over to the house for barbecues and stuff. Okay, that's awkward. Yeah. Um, so when you did confess this all these years later, did you feel happier? Um, you feel relief. Okay. But with depression, it doesn't matter. Like there's no quick fix for, no, for that sort of thing. No. And mm-hmm. so in the moment you feel relief when you when you leave, you're like, Whew, okay, got so that now out of my chest. Yeah, got that off my chest. Now put my shoulder to the wheel, move along. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> it's a Mormon <laughs> hymn. <laughs> put your shoulder to the wheel. What's the next line? <laughs> I don't know. Do your duty with the heart full of song. You said duty. Okay. Shall I finish the sentence? If you want. We, I started too high now. I can't because I'm okay. an alto. All right. Well, the next line is, we all have work. Let no one shirk. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Oh, good Lord. I know. Mormon hymns suck. Typically, they just suck. Uh-huh. Anyway. So you got back on the happiness plan after confession. You plan and you feel relieved <laughs> for a day and then it doesn't fix your depression, your state in life. Well, so was this moment part of you doubting the church? No, I no, just okay. was a si- total sidetrack. Just side a sidetrack. <laughs> Can we get back on you doubting the church? God, Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, what was what, what was I talking about? Well, it was about hearing God's voice and feeling like, good Lord, uh, we have to backtrack a little bit. Because <laughs> so, we got a little sidetracked. It's so it weird. It never uh, happens. Yeah, weird. I don't, huh? I don't know how that happened. Oh, I remember where we were. So had the seventh baby, postpartum depression hit. And at this time, I had a calling, which was being the Sunday school teacher to the youth. And by the way... That's a lot of pressure because you have to prepare a lesson. They gave me just like a few weeks off. They got a substitute for a few weeks right after I had the baby, but then they wanted me back teaching again. Oh, you get no breaks. Having a baby, you you get like a little bit of time off and then they want you right back in. Hmm. Your family suffers, I think, when you have callings in the church. Sounds like it. Yeah. And I know that I did as a kid because my dad was always in some higher calling. He was always gone doing something important. Yeah. In quotations. More important than you guys, I guess. Yep. And so with this depression, I just felt like super overwhelmed. I couldn't do it all. I just wanted a break. 
And along with this depression, I was having anxiety. I felt like I was being crushed by life. Hmm. I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt like my temper was always just about to blow. You know, I've got seven kids at this time. It's and true about you. One of them's an infant, plus a two-year-old, a four-year-old, oh, God. a six-year-old, Ugh. and then, you know, three kids that are slightly older than that. And That's crazy. Like, I wasn't happy in my marriage. Mm-hmm. I was drowning. I was dying. Wow. And I, I was losing my temper. Little things would set me off. Uh, I don't know how many chairs I broke because I would lose my wow. temper and I would just grab a chair and, and kind of smash it. Mm. Not in front of the kids. I never blew up violently in front of the kids. I just wasn't okay. I yeah. was not okay. And even to the point where I got frustrated that the kids kept leaving their coats, they would just throw their coats in the coat closet instead of hanging them up. And then the coats would get stuck in the hinge of the door and then the, then the coat closet door wouldn't close. It would make me nuts. That mm-hmm. It would be open. And so I had just kind of lost my temper about something. I don't remember what it was. And I was, I was walking out and I saw this door and I was like, and you guys, you have to hang your coats up. And I went to kick the door to like shut it. Yeah. And I kicked a lot harder than I thought. So I kicked the door and there was coats stuck in the, in the hinge. And so the door came back at me because it wouldn't shut. So I hurt my toe. Didn't you break it? Well, I went outside to cool off because I don't like yelling in front of my kids. So I went outside and sat down. And as as the adrenaline kind of lessened, I started feeling, man, my toe really hurts. Yeah. Ouch. And told Brent, and I'm like, can you bring me some ice? He brought me some ice. I calmed down, went to bed. The next day I got up and I went over to my sister-in-law's house. I had been wearing a sock the whole time. Mm-hmm. Went over to my sister-in-law's house and she saw me limping. And she's like, what's going on? I said, ah, I just hurt my toe. And she said, let me take a look at it. So I pulled my sock off and I was like, oh my God, it was black, purple, <laughs> oh and crooked. And this was the same toe that I had bunion surgery. Oh my gosh, I'm writing this down. I have a great bunion surgery story. Bunion <laughs> surgery. Oh, that would be a good one. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I was worried that uh, I had broken my toe that I had had surgically straightened because now it was crooked again and there's a screw in there. And so I thought maybe the screw. Anyway, so I ended up going into the, the doctor just saying, hey, do you mind taking x-rays just to see? I just want to make sure that I didn't mess up the screw that's in my toe or whatever and he went and took the the x-rays and then he came back out and he's like so the screw is okay um but your toe is broken completely in half (laughs) oh shit and he goes well how did you do it and i said well i you know i got a little frustrated and i tried to you know just close a door with my (laughs) Mm -hmm. foot and he said, okay, well, from now on, probably don't kick doors barefoot. <laughs> the door one. Oh, and a funny story about that. When I told my kids that I had broken my toe, of course, they had to make fun of me. And so when I would start to tell them after the fact, like, guys, you're ticking me off. you got to stop. Like, mm-hmm. calm down. And they'd say, wait, well, are you, like, normal mom mad? Or you, like, kick the door, break your toe mad? <laughs> <laughs> Just pick on me. I'm like, That's oh, good. you little shits. Anyway, so that was my mental state. I lost my temper a lot. Mm-hmm. Very depressed. And Brenda and I has kind of started having conversations about some things in the church that didn't line up. Like, why don't they talk about Jesus more? And I was getting very overwhelmed. We talked about the Holy Ghost, about what it really is, and it didn't line up with what scripture was. I mean, it was just, there's a lot of like doctrinal stuff that, because Brent's very, he enjoys the doctrine. He mm-hmm. enjoys learning doctrine and scripture. I'm not so much that way. Right. Um, but when he would explain things to me, it made sense. Like, oh yeah, the church kind of messed up on that. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, at some point, you guys just didn't go to church anymore. Well, that took a long time to get to. I don't think anyone is an active member, and then the next Sunday, they're like, no, I'm done. I think you go through a lot in your faith transition to get to that point. And mine did take a long time. Like, how long are we talking? Years. More than one or two years. One or two years. Okay. For sure. It started with doctrinal issues that I had and ended with just like, I'm done. Like this, this is crap. I'm done. So you think you went for like another full year or two before you actually got to that I'm done place? For sure. And what was it that day that you just woke up and were like, "Eh, I don't feel like going to church today? Like, what was it for you guys? For me, I kind of had the excuse of having a new baby. And so I was having Brent go and teach class for me so I could stay home with the new baby. But then when it was time for me to take back on that class, I was so overwhelmed with my life, with the depression, the anxiety, and I just couldn't handle one more thing. And so... I had Brent tell the bishop that I wanted to be released, because that's kind of how you do it. You basically have the man talk to the man. It's so weird. Not always, but yeah, a lot of the time. And the bishop can't just release you. They have to call you in and question you as far as why you want to be released. So that's what happened? Yeah. When I was in like the depths of my depression and anxiety, I just wanted something to take the edge off because I felt like I was living at this edge of where it would just take one little thing and I would blow up. Right. So and this is after the broken toe incident, probably? This is all in there. Yeah. This okay. is why, this is why I mean, time. a normal per- person doesn't get pissed off at the coats and break their toe. Like, yeah. I just was living at this constant state of about to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Brent once about it and I said, gosh, if I could just have a beer. Just uh-huh. have a beer and take that edge off. Yeah. And he was like, well, have a beer. I said, yeah. what are we talking about? I can't have a beer. Right. Because the word of wisdom says you can't have a beer. <laughs> that word of wisdom I again. <laughs> and so we went through this entire discussion about how the original revelation of the word of wisdom to Joseph Smith, which I believe is all crap at this point anyway, but mm-hmm. it says strong drinks are bad, but it says mild barley drinks are good. That sounds like beer to me. Yes, completely. However, the church took that and internalized the entire thing and preached that as all alcohol is bad to the point there are actually Mormons who will not cook with vanilla extract, the real stuff, because really? it's got some alcohol in it. Oh They're my gosh. that wacky. And so, of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, I can't have a beer, you know, the word of wisdom, then I won't be temple worthy. If you can't pass the questions about the word of wisdom, then you you don't get to go to the temple. Okay. But then Brent was like, look, I've been looking into the history of this. And actually, when the word of wisdom came out, and for years and years afterward, like Joseph Smith drank beer. So okay. if he was one who received this from God, and clearly it didn't say don't drink beer because he kept on drinking beer. Yeah. And same with tea and coffee. Like they drank all this. Hmm. And then somewhere along the way, it got twisted into, we're not doing any of this. We're going to be squeaky clean. That tea and coffee, that's a <laughs> road to you. Satan right there. Shelly. Yes, Mary. This is the time when we tell people how to contact us. I love it. Even the trolls. The trolls, bring it. <laughs> We're not afraid of you. <laughs> We're not afraid. <laughs> so there are different ways. One is direct contact. It is, well, contact at latterdaylesbian.org. Mm-hmm. That's one way. Another way is you can join the conversation on Facebook. Just look up Latterday Lesbian Podcast. Mm-hmm. There's also Instagram and Twitter. At Latterday Les. Uh-huh. And finally, there's our website where you can get in contact with us on a submission form. That is latterdaylesbian.org. Yes. So feel free to drop us a message. We would love that. I have found so many people leaving comments that I don't know who they are, and I love it because guess what? Then I get to know them, and I love people. So there you go. Keep sharing. Thank you so much. I know. Thank you. Sharing. Okay. Well, that's all we wanted to say. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, so <laughs> I didn't just all of a sudden decide to drink beer. 
I started really researching it. And Brent said, here, look at some of these articles, look at these, some of these historical documents. And so I did and came to the conclusion on my own, which was probably one of the first times I had ever come to a conclusion on my own wow. when it comes to church things. Decided that, yeah, you know what? Actually, God never forbade beer. Mm-hmm. Brent, by the way, had never had even a drop of alcohol his entire life. Wow. And he's like, look, if you want to have a beer, I, you know, I'll get a beer too and we'll, we'll drink it together. Okay. So we went and got beer. And it was funny because him having never had beer, he drank it and it was very hard for him. He thought it was disgusting. And I... Depends on the beer, It depends buddy. on the I think we got Heineken's. I'm oh, almost positive. God, I hate that one. <laughs> Maybe not the best. <laughs> well, we were like beginning drinkers. I think my first beer was Molson, which is just about like a Heineken in it. <laughs> Horrible. I can't stand those beers. Oh, well. So I drank mine. I practically chugged it because the flavor didn't bother me. I just wanted to feel better. Maybe using beer as medications, maybe not the best idea, but for me, I just wanted... They have Xanax now. Well, glad that you said that because that actually is part of my story. Okay. So I did. It took the edge off. And then Brent was sitting there in the bed and he's like, yeah, I just drank that and I don't feel guilty at all. Because he was wanting, he wanted to drink it and then feel, is God telling me you're a sinner? And he goes, I feel nothing. Like, this is fine. I don't, God is not upset at me for having this. So that was his test. And so from then on, I would have maybe one or two beers a week Mm -hmm. at the most, really. Like, times I just was really on edge. Mm -hmm. And it helped. It absolutely helped. Good. And so then I started to question, like, well... The Mormon church is telling me that beer is wicked and awful and horrible and that I shouldn't go to the temple if I drink beer, but God's not telling me that. And I'm now drinking one or two beers a week and I'm good. Like Mm -hmm. it's actually helping me. I don't feel like a sinner. What's the big deal? And then I'm thinking, are there more things that the church has taught me that are also wrong? Okay. So that was kind of my first, huh, maybe the church is getting it wrong on some things. I wasn't to the point where I'm like, the church is wrong. It was just... Hmm, they might have screwed up a couple of things. So you started questioning. I did. Next week, we're going to talk about when I had to go to my bishop and talk about that. Oh, talking to your bishop about the beer drinking? Yes. yes. Did you feel prompted to do this? What do you mean prompted? Like, did Jesus tell you to go to your bishop? Um, no, something? he called me in because I had asked to be released from my calling oh, and he I wanted to kind of question what's going on. Okay. And I was honest, which. Mm-hmm big mistake being honest with your bishop because it comes back and slaps you in the face. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not judging all bishops. The bishop that I had was not good as far as being understanding and compassionate about my situation. And again, we'll all go into that. Well, I just feel like in general, and you know what? Your mom is the same way. She doesn't want to be honest with Mormons. Mm-hmm. That was the exact point about not going to a Mormon therapist. Yeah, you're right. She couldn't be herself. You're right. Mormons seem to be taught, for the most part, not everybody, that you have to have this squeaky clean image all the time. Yeah. And so you are such an honest, vulnerable, raw person, which is fantastic about you. Thank you. You just let it out to everybody. Mm-hmm. And here you are trusting somebody who's supposed to be in charge of the flock. Right. You know? Right. And so you'd think that person would be a compassionate person. He was not. Person. Right. It was bad. Yeah. It's really unfortunate that you allowed yourself to be vulnerable to somebody who then threw it in your face. For sure. Yeah, it sucked. We'll talk about that next week. Because once I go into that, there's like dealing with him, dealing with my stake president who's above the bishop because we like took it up another level, you know, yeah. to get some clarity. And it was just, he was, he, the stake president was actually worse than the bishop if that's really? possible. Wow. Yeah. So not good. Ugh. 
So sorry. Thank you. So yeah, should we lighten this up at all? <laughs> this is there's definitely a part two to this story. Oh, there's a part two, three, four, maybe five. I don't know. You, I think we can probably wrap it up next week, don't you think? Uh, maybe. But you know how we tangent. <laughs> I know. So here's your cliffhanger. Okay. Next yeah. week we're talking about how Shelley had a meeting with her bishop right. to talk about leaving your post as what, Sunday school teacher? What was it at that Sunday time? Sunday school teacher. Okay. And I make the huge mistake of telling him my struggles not necessarily believing in the word of wisdom. Oh. And I do tell him that I drink one or two beers a week just to kind of take the edge off. I explain to him what a horrible depressive state I'm in and how I'm so anxious and how I'm yelling at kids and that this beer is actually helping me to calm myself. Oof. And I'm expecting him to be understanding and it was the last thing that he was. Well, so, this ought to be a good story. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of beer, here's a funny story about my kids. So, of okay. course, back then I hid all my drinking from the children mm-hmm. because we were still going to church. And by all your drinking, you're saying one or two beers yeah, a week. Yeah, by one or two beers a week. Okay. Yeah, I was. I wouldn't even consider that drinking. The worst beers. Yes, yeah, like four and a half percent alcohol content. Like, I'm not even sure I was getting buzz. I uh-huh. was just getting the initial relaxation. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably more alcohol in kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if kombucha was even out back then. Are Mormons allowed to drink kombucha? You know, it depends on the Mormon. Some people are just so extreme that they won't. And they won't use alcohol like cough syrup. They're just like wacky. Right. That is wacky. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to your story. Yes. So I had been leaving beer bottles in my trash upstairs and maybe like three of them had built up in the trash can. And my oldest son, Lincoln, found them and he asked me, he's like, mom, can I ask you a question? I found beer bottles in your trash can. (laughs) And I said, oh yeah, um, I use the beer to wash my hair. It's a good conditioner. Are you serious? (laughs) I'm serious. It's a good conditioner. Like once or twice a week, just wash your hair and beard. It's amazing. He's like, okay. Did you ever later tell him that was complete bullshit? Of course I did. And he's like, oh, okay. But yeah, like I was lying to my kids. Like you wash your hair and beer. Lord have mercy. <laughs> and he bought it? Yeah, he bought it. He must have been 15, 14 mm, wow. years old, something yeah. like that. Yeah. He totally bought it. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that uh, hairstyling method. The problem with washing your hair in beer is it's like a little beer for my hair, and then you drink a sip, uh-huh. and then pretty soon you're just not putting beer in your hair, you're just drinking it. Like shower beer. Shower beers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've, you've had those before, which can be dangerous if you're drinking glass bottles. I'm just putting that out there. Oh. You don't want to drop the glass bottle in the shower. No, cans. Okay. Cans in the shower. All How right. About so that? if anyone's drinking beer in the shower, please drink <laughs> responsibly. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, more to come on that story. Yeah. It's a little tangential today. Mm-hmm. It's a really big thing. It yeah. was probably the the biggest decision in my life was this leaving the church and it wasn't easy and it took a while and there were so many emotions involved and so many things that I learned so many things I had trouble with. It's a huge thing, which is probably why it's taking, you know, this is the 11th episode and I'm barely kind of cracking this. It's not Mm -hmm. easy. Right. So listeners, be patient Mm -hmm. with the rambling and the telling (laughs) of the story. We'll get there eventually. Yes. Okay. In the meantime, Mm -hmm. steer clear of cults because they are no joke. No joke. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.